a film by Beyonce enjoyed a glorious weekend at the box office and that potty mouth of yours may actually be beneficial to your mental health. Welcome to Siri Reads. Renaissance, a film by Beyonce, enjoyed a $22 million opening weekend. That's fantastic, given that December is typically recognized as a sort of dead zone in the movie theater world, specifically speaking, the box office weekend. Um, The first week of December is typically viewed as the week that you do not want to release a film because no one's going to see trying to watch a film. They are shopping. They are getting in the Christmas spirit. They are not trying to go and sit at the movie theater for upwards of three hours. Beyonce's film is two hours and 48 minutes. And she broke all of the stereotypes connected with the first week of December being that of a listless week in the box office by garnering $22 million, which is $2 million more than AMC and Beyonce expected to garner over this past weekend. Um, sources initially slapped their foreheads over AMC's move, which was mutual with Beyonce to release the movie over what is, as I just said, termed, uh, deemed a terrible box office weekend. Elizabeth Frank, who is EVP Worldwide Programming and Chief Content Officer at AMC Theaters, said, on behalf of AMC Theaters distribution and the entire theatrical industry, we thank Beyonce for bringing this incredible film directly to her fans. Through the magic of movie going, we thank her for bringing it to her fans through the magic of movie going. To see it resonate with fans and with film critics on a weekend that many in the industry typically neglect is a testament to her immense talent, not just as a performer, but as a producer and director. We are so grateful for her vision to bring her renaissance masterpiece to the big screen. And I bet you do think that it's a masterpiece, Elizabeth Frank. I don't blame you. Renaissance, for those who don't know, Renaissance, Renaissance a film by Beyonce, is a 2023 American documentary concert film written, directed, and produced by Beyonce Knowles Carter. The film chronicles the development and execution of the Renaissance World Tour, which was, for those who have been hiding under a rock, Beyonce went on tour this year. Um, it was She went to stadiums all over the world, and she sang some of her greatest hits. Uh, the focus was on her Renaissance album, which came out last year. And in those who don't know, her album was a tribute to her late Uncle Johnny, who was a part of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, And so that really resonated with a lot of Beyonce's fans who felt seen and heard um, when she released her album and certainly when she decided to go on tour. And so 
The tour itself is reportedly the highest grossing tour by a female artist to date with $461 million in the bank. See, when it says gross, yeah, um, that's actually not the net. I'm sorry. That's not the net um, gains. So that's the gross. That's just how much the tour made. Um, but still, that's a lot. That's almost a half a million dollars. And during the tour, Beyonce gave $2 million to students and small businesses through her charity foundation, which is called Bay Good. Beyonce is out here changing the world and making a difference and um, just revolutionizing now the box office. You go, Bay. You go. You go, Queen. Now, I was raised in a very Christian, traditional, conservative household. And in our house, we loved the Lord. We loved Jesus. And we did not use profanity. It was a no-no. We didn't even say dang. We couldn't even say dang. Um, because that was considered too close to the other word. And um, as someone who continues with her Christian faith, I don't um, heavily rely on profanity or cuss words, curse words to communicate. Um, my understanding is deeper now. It's not just, you know, when I was little, it was more so of, I'm not going to cuss because I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. There were consequences to actions. Um, now as an adult, it's more so a thing of, um, I'm not afraid to use profanity. I choose not to, because I personally feel like there are other ways to communicate. Um, and I love what one person said, um, for his reasoning of not using profanity as often. Um, he was like, you know what, if you use it so often it kind of loses its flavor if every time I turn around I am dropping the f-bomb um you know you after a while you're just gonna be like that's just how she is it, it loses its flavor but if I or this particular person who also didn't use a whole lot of profanity when he was communicating if he dropped the f-bomb if he you know went on a, a profanity or swear word to um you know marathon uh it would catch our attention because it's like what he never and so um that is my uh, whole spiel of why I choose to kind of communicate in a more clean way but I was reading an article and it was based on uh, recent surveys and studies that actually swear words, we have it wrong. I have it wrong. Swear words are actually kind of a good thing for your mental health. Who knew? Apparently, the scientists knew. According to a recent survey, a majority of Americans use expletives every day, with one in four letting out their first cuss word of the day before breakfast. Okay, 
Um, I can imagine that that first cuss word is probably uh, begins with S and ends with T because I have to get up and I have to get out of the bed and it's probably cold and a number of other things. Swearing is the most common response to frustrations or stressful situations, according to 63% of survey participants. Research suggests that the practice helps us manage stress and possibly provides measurable health benefits. This is crazy. So the benefits include pain tolerance, where swearing could help us deal with pain. Let's say you stub your toe and you let out a a good old swear word. That actually, according to the science, can help you cope with the fact that you have hurt yourself. What? Um, There are benefits um, in terms of physical performance. Apparently, swearing can help us reach higher peaks in physical performance. So if you're at the gym and you feel like, oh, I can't lift this. This is too heavy. If you let out a swear word, apparently that gives you strength to lift what you probably couldn't lift before. Swearing also comes with the benefit of honesty. According to the research, according to the science, swearing may actually be a sign of greater levels of honesty because if you are willing to just let out a whole bunch of expletives in front of everyone, you probably aren't too afraid or too shy to tell people exactly how you feel. Uh, Be careful with that one because I stand by what I've said before, everything's not meant to be said. And some things that are meant to be said, it may not be meant to be said in that moment. Use wisdom when swearing. That's all I'm saying. And fun fact, because this just fascinated me so, um, the F word, which is more commonly used in the United States, that's like the number one word, by the way, um, it's, it's really up there. It may not be the number one word in terms of expletives, but the F word, people use that more often than, uh, we choose to believe. Some of us choose to believe, but that F word that you use when you say F you is actually an acronym for fornication under the consent of the King. So when you say F you, what you are saying is fornicate Fornication under the consent of the king, have to put a comma there, you. And of course, it originated from a sexual reference, which is still how it's used today. So this is just fascinating. This is just fascinating. It does not change my position that I really enjoy conversations that don't include a whole lot of swear words because I think that you can, there is a level of disrespect that can be attached to it if every time you're saying something is just so much profanity you may actually turn some people off as I've said before though use those swear words with wisdom I am reading The Many Lives of Mama Love by Laura Love Harden. Laura Love is a writer and a literary, um, she's an agent, a literary agent. I, I would love to speak English today. I'm sorry. And she has an 
MFA in creative writing and is a four-time best-selling collaborative writer. And she is the subject of this memoir. She wrote a memoir about herself. And it's a memoir of lying, stealing, writing, and healing. And I just want to read from the cover. And it says, no one expects the police to knock on the door of the million-dollar two-story home of the perfect cul-de-sac housewife. But soccer mom Laura Love Harden has been hiding a shady secret. She is funding her heroin addiction by stealing her neighbor's credit cards. Laura is convicted of 32 felonies and becomes inmate number 32179 s32179 she finds that that jail is a class system with a power struggle that is somewhere between an adolescent sleepover party and lord of the flies if anyone's read lord of the, of the flies okay if you know you know furniture is made from tampon boxes and snickers bars are currency but lara i think her name may be lara Laura, I'm going to say Laura, sorry, uh, quickly learns the rules and brings love and healing to her fellow inmates as she climbs the social ladder and acquires the nickname Mama Love, showing that jailhouse politics aren't that different from the from the PTA meeting she used to attend. When she's released, she reinvents herself as a ghostwriter. Now she's legally co-opting other people's identities and getting to meet Oprah meditate with the Dalai Lama and have dinner with Archbishop Desmond Tutu but the shadow of her past follows her shame is a poison worse than heroin there is no way to detox Lara or Lara I think it's Lara I'm sorry must learn how to forgive herself and others navigate life as a felon on probation and prove to herself that she is more good than bad among other essential lessons the many lives of mama love is a heartbreaking and tender journey from shame to redemption despite a system that makes it almost impossible for us to move beyond the worst thing we have ever done and I am, this is a very fast read. It's about 304 pages. And I'm sorry. Yeah, 304 pages. And I actually had to put it down for a second because I had to read something else for work. But within the two days of interrupted reading time that I had, I was able to get to page 84, 85, 85. Um, so I am currently reading this book. It is a sad story. Um, it is a telling story. Um, just so far, the, as far as I've gotten, um, it's a telling story of how one mistake can just, one act, I don't even want to say mistake, but one act can just completely turn your life upside down. And it's also a telling story of how, as the the um, description says, how you're, you strive for redemption. And sometimes it feels like redemption does not come. I love the part that I've read so far that talks about how um, the women around her are lost and she's a little lost too, but she's finding her way. I love how she delves into um, 
you know, she wanted to commit suicide. She planned to commit suicide. And the only thing that really kept her from doing this was that she fell asleep. And by the time she got up, uh, everyone was up and she wanted to do it in the middle of the night. And then she finally decides, you know what? I'm not doing that. I have babies to live for. And it just really is uh, so far. Um, granted, I'm not finished with the book. So I am on page 85. Um, that's not even halfway through. But so far already, it is definitely a story that you may want to read if you are looking at, you know, if you love stories of redemption, if you love stories that delve into healing, if you are one who wants to read about the the criminal justice system, um, and I put that in quotations, justice, um, in the United States, you actually may want to check this book out because it does delve into, um, the, the business of, I, I call them repeat, well, the society calls them repeat offenders and how, um, you know, there are factors. It's not just that people want to continue on in, in terrible be or, you know, negative behavior, but there are factors that contribute, that may contribute to it. And so it's all in, uh, the many lives of mama love and the link for the book, if you are interested or if you want to learn more about it, is in the show notes. So happy reading on that one. Have you ever been in a situation where you know that you communicated quite well and the other person's inability to understand you led them to ask you if that was what you were trying to say? For instance, um, when I worked at the Culver City Library, this was in my 20s and I was so excited um, and I recall several instances of clearly explaining policy to people, clearly expressing myself, and only to be met with the person saying what I just said, repeating it back to me and saying, is that what you were trying to say? And initially, because I was so young and uh, wide-eyed, bright-eyed, I said, oh, yeah, 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 you're, you're totally right. I'm totally wrong. The customer's always right. But I noticed the pattern. And after a while, after noticing a pattern, this took a, maybe a few weeks, and, and uh, I, I started pushing back. And when they would do that, I mean, like, repeat what I just said practically verbatim. I remember one specific instance someone did that at the Culver City Library, and I said, yes, that's exactly what I said. And they got quiet, and we had this understanding that I know that you heard me the first time. And because I know that you heard me the first time, I'm letting you know that this business of trying to weaponize my words so that you 
have the upper hand is not going to work. You are not going to belittle me in such a manner. And Bell Hooks talks about that in her book, Teaching to Transgress, Transgress, sorry, Education as the Practice of Freedom. She actually talks about a whole lot of things in this book. Um, But in the chapter on language, she quotes Adrian Rich, um, who wrote a poem poem about um, language and oppression and whatnot um, in the United States, I think. And in the poem, uh, Adrian says, this is the oppressor's language, yet I needed to talk to you. And Bell Hooks just kind of expands on that in her chapter. And she says something that really caught my attention and reminded me of my experiences of individuals trying to belittle me by using my vernacular, trying to use my vernacular against me and how truly um, debilitating it can be when people attempt to correct your English, your native tongue. I'm a native English speaker. And when people attempt to correct it, not in the sense of I'm helping you, but in the sense of I think I'm better than you, um, how truly it can be debilitating if you allow it to be. Um, But the quote that Uh, bell hooks talks about or that bell hooks uh, says which is going to be our word of the day this is our message Uh, she says reflecting on adrian rich's words which are this is the oppressor's languages yet i needed to talk to you i know that it is not the english language that hurts me but what the oppressors do with it how they shape it to become a territory that limits and defines how they make it a weapon that can shame, humiliate, colonize. And I want to encourage all of us to truly be mindful of the manner in which we speak to one another. Um, Be mindful of the things that we say, because one thing that I know is true is that you cannot recall words you can't take them back I know we say that oh I take that back but the truth of the matter is that once it's in the atmosphere it's out there that's not coming back and it if it does come back it doesn't come back the same way you put it out so we want to be mindful um bell hooks is a progressive um educator academic professor so she was definitely speaking specifically to colonizers and all of that but the truth of the matter is that each one of us has the power in within to oppress someone and believe it or not our words are the very like that's the entryway to oppression it really is and so we want to be mindful of how we use our words. We want to use our words to uplift one another. I do. I don't want to use my words to to discourage people. I don't want to use my words to tear someone down. I don't want to use my words to oppress. I know how that feels. I know how it feels to not be encouraged, to do, to be discouraged on every uh, 
every everywhere I turn, you know, there are words of discouragement. I know exactly how that feels because it has happened to me. And so because I know how it feels, I don't want to be the oppressor when it comes to language. Language is a beautiful thing and we want to use it wisely and we want to you know, we can't change the world, but what we can do is change our sphere, our part of the world. And we want to change our part of the world for the better. I want to thank you so much for joining me this week on Sari Reads. Don't forget to check out the show notes and I will see you in a bookstore, in a library or anywhere else that books are king. Thank you so much for stopping by. (laughs) 